we are uh, blessed to have the friends from the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's NAMI, uh, Denise Kolovoski, and uh, Dr. Matthew Sippel, and also Julie Manorino from my right to left. And uh, welcome, folks. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. All right. So, hey, let's um, get right to it. This is a family show. And so we like to kind of get a, a, a grip on, you know, origin stories. I'm into these telling these stories. So, Denise, I'm going to start with you. Uh, grew up in Erie? Grew up in Erie, went to Gannon, and that's when we met, Joel. That's right. I had the pleasure of having you as my instructor on the senior thesis. Oh, and I forgot you, about senior thesis. You put me through the ropes. <laughs> that was a good course, a tough course, and what that was, was great. What was your... What was your um, what was your uh, thesis? What it was, was it on digital integration and uh, social and again, media. We, and... we got to tell our listeners that was what, 2000, 1999? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so, I'm, not, so... I'm not confirming or denying those dates, Joel. <laughs> so, but, but, but think about this. You were doing a, a thesis on digital integration before social media was even a thing. Absolutely. And satellite radio, which is not what I thought it would be today. But yeah, that's a whole nother show, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and here's something that probably most people that know you don't know about you is that you're like a musicologist. Your your brain when it comes to music is <laughs> amazing. And so I, I have a genre. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A you. lot of alternative metal and all kinds of other fun music at WERG. <laughs> that's right. Uh, back in the day at Gannon University. And it was a great experience. I really do enjoy my years at Gannon. And I even went back for an MBA. So it was really Good. quite a quite an experience. What uh, what high school did you go to? Central. Okay, beautiful. So Central Gannon kid. Uh, how about you, uh, Dr. Sippel? Uh, how'd you get to Erie? Well, I'm an Erieite. Okay. Um, I went to McDowell High School. Okay. So um, after McDowell, I went to the United States uh, Navy. I did eight years um, in the wow. military. And then I got out and for a little while uh, worked in shops and then finally went to Gannon University also. And led to medical school and residency in psychiatry. Wow, that's fantastic. And uh, again, yeah, very similar. How about you, Julie? Uh, are you an Erieite as well? Or? I am. I oh, am. See. Yes. Mm-hmm. Born and, and raised. Born and raised. Beautiful. So, yeah. Uh, so, y- you know, as we think about the state of mental health in our community, again, I, I would think that every community is a little bit different when it comes to wellness in this area. But um what do you all think? Uh, and I'll start again with you, Denise. What is the state of mental health here in Erie? Well, actually, NAMI National, a couple years ago, and they do this frequently, probably every three to four years, they grade the states. Okay. And Pennsylvania received a C minus D rating. So that tells you Yikes. that we're not up to par. Yeah. We're, we're making progress, but we're not progressing at the level that needs to happen to really serve individuals and families with the needs that they have in our community. So, Dr. Sibyl, I mean, would that be an indicator of just, you know, snow and cold? I mean, people like to say, you know, people dreary, eerie kind of thing, uh, but it, it's more than just that, right? Correct. Um, the World Health Organization actually has found that depression is on the rise globally. Uh-huh. And of course, how this fits with us with Erie, Pennsylvania was, was one of the highest states of depression and mental illness and Erie, the highest city. In the state. So not only is PA the highest depression state, Erie's the highest city within the state. So it's, 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 uh, wow. And, uh, Julie, you have a, you have a take on, you know, the state of mental health here in Erie? 
I mean, it's been on the rise. Um, definitely. More you mean than- mental illness has been on the rise? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, depression itself too. Um, children are now faced with uh, different types of uh, new strategies to in school and in dealing with people and bullying and all this. So I think that it starts a lot younger. Let's talk about what uh, what you specifically do in in, in uh, with Nami or what is what is your role there? Um, I'm mainly with Dr. Sipple. Okay. Um, uh, but the role with with Nami is that we I'm, I lead with Dr. Sipple and um, I'm a therapist in the community. So okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you guys are doing group therapy, individual counseling. We'll talk about some of that. Um, I do individual therapy. Um, we also do the transcranial magnetic stimulation, um, right. which is newer to this region. Okay. One of the things I've seen increase over the time is the family support. And I do think uh, we could get really deep into that. Um, this, this, so that's a positive uh, it, 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 as far as families are supporting of their mentally ill child or, or sib. Yeah. And one of the big uh, holes that gets missed is where NAMI comes in, I think, that helps support the families of the loved ones. Um, we need that full 360 mm. um, to be able to help folks and help the families. Um, that way we can all be on the same page and help each other. So now are there, are there points of, um, are there age thresholds or something where either, either the diagnosis becomes real or perhaps mental illness is onset? I mean, you hear about, let's say, um, the late twenties, early thirties male, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, that's, you know, with, with violence that we have in our community, not in our community, but in the world, uh, you know, a lot of times it's that uh, there's there's almost like a a template that that's happening. Am, am I washed up on this, or is that a real is there is there a real danger with with certain age groups where 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 mental illness can be onset? Well, the way there's a nurture in the nature. Okay. So there are both, and a lot of times they're interconnected. That's where the age group that you're talking about will see the first break of schizophrenia in the military, as an example. In boot camp, the stress basically activates the gene, um, but also we so are... So it's been latent there the whole time, correct. maybe? It's, okay. it's kind of like if you have the gene for lung cancer, Yeah. and you never smoke and you never activate the gene, so you never get lung cancer, versus we also know people are 94 years old smoking three packs a day and never get lung cancer. They don't have the gene for the lung cancer. Now, on the flip side of that, I think what we're seeing more of, especially with the school age folks, um, there's also the nature part of things, what's going on in their world around them. And as, as we all know, with social media and the family unit and so forth, um, in some odd ways, we have more support. In other ways, we have less support and less as a unit. So I think we're seeing more of that cyberbullying and things like that. that yeah kids normally wouldn't have been exposed to are now exposed to. And that's why we're seeing things much earlier. As you guys look at um, kind of the landscape as far as uh, mental health uh, and, and what's available to people that need services here in Erie County, um, a lot has changed in the last 50 years. Am I right? I mean, I, I, again, you, we all grew up being from Erie. We all grew up knowing about North Warren, the, the Warren state hospital and, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to make any determination either way about that, but that is not a, a destination for a lot of people anymore, correct? Correct. 
And so, so, okay. So if you are, uh, I mean, basically, is this a, an approach of mainlining or mainstreaming folks to, to be able to cope with and have tools to, uh, to, you know, go through life uh, in general society with their illness? That's been recognizing it has been one of the biggest things. So, so just the diagnosis in and of itself is a big determinant, is a big change. Correct. Okay. And the more supports someone has, family supports, and if we can recognize it, then families do seek out NAMI and we seek out um, therapists and so forth. So um, the earlier we can recognize and kind of start building those coping skills and strategies to get better and start recognizing if someone starts to decompensate, we can be on top of it. I know my goal is always to keep every one of my folks out of the hospital. Okay. So, so out of the hospital. Oh, yeah. yeah what, what about little guys? I mean, uh, when, when is there, is there a, a time of diagnosis for, for, young, for the young ones? I that, mean, or that, is that, uh, how, how early does that happen? That and, gets sticky. Um, okay. Because you will see some things, and I've seen it in some young kids, um, more like with an ADHD. And of course, you have to take a lot of things into account because yeah. we don't want to just throw everyone on medications for everything. I have three boys. I, I swear they all were ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they weren't. You know, they're hyperactive kids and they calm down. Right. Um, but we do fight with that piece of it. Um, and if it affects all these aspects of their life where it's home, school, and, and their social aspects, that's when I get a little more concerned. If I see that with their peers and so forth, they're not forming those social connections. Okay. I know school grades are important, things like that, but I do believe that social connection is so huge at that young age. And a lot of times it is therapy and recognizing what is the need at that point, whether therapy, getting NAMI involved, um, all these different things. Um, before you jump to a medicine. Do you, do you find, Denise, that um, you're able to do a warm handoff from the PCP, from the primary care physician? If a, if a, if a, if a medical doctor is saying, you know, there's something up with this kid, um, you know, are, are, is, is, that, uh, is that working? Are, are people working together in the medical and the psychiatric fields like that? Or? I do believe there is some collaboration in the mental health field because we do realize how extreme some instances can be and how much it really does impact not only the individual, but the family as well. To throw some statistics out there locally, one in five people each and every year here in Erie County experience mental health issues. That's 55,000 of us. Yeah. And that's the same number, one in five for children. So that's 6,600 6, children right here in our own backyards that are impacted. But you also have the statistic here that, and we were just mentioning mm -hmm. it, that only 20% of the kids are getting diagnosed when there's, you know, there's 80% there's of folks that are dealing, little children and adolescents are dealing with mental health and not being diagnosed or not being treated at this point. And, How does that happen? And then also the onset of symptoms and then the time that it takes to actually get some sort of treatment. It can be eight to 10 years. You know, it's it's funny. Again, we all grew up in Erie, and our I, you know I went to Catholic schools uh, coming up, and and we had a couple kids in our in our school that the now looking back fifty years ago, it's obvious that they were totally in need of treatment, and just e either were you know they 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 spent a lot of time at the principal's office, or they were undiagnosed, or I, or they they weren't responding to whatever 
was being done for them. And so it's kind of sad when you think about how long uh, it's taken us to kind of get smart about this stuff. And that's where NAMI comes in. We provide the education that talks to people and educates them on the signs and symptoms of mental health and wellness. And we help to break some of that stigma out in the community because we want folks to recognize that there may be issues and to start seeking treatment, whether that's medication, whether that's therapies, whether that's that's whatever the individual needs, just to start encouraging the public to start taking action and being proactive about it. We're talking to Denise Kolovowski, Matthew Sippel, and Julie uh, Maverino. Manorino, there you go, Julie. Hey, I'm going to go to you next. Uh, Julie, let's talk about some of the, uh, just some of, some of the stories that are out there when you, when you're doing your therapy. Um, you know, you know, I is is it is it a situation where there's just a lot of fear and trepidation to even just walk through your door? Yes, that's actually where I was going to start. Is that first step? It's so hard to convince somebody that it's okay to come to our office, uh, speak to somebody, or if it's not our office, get help in general, go to NAMI, see um, somebody, or talk about what's going on. Um, I think that the stigma um, of walking into an office and saying, I have to talk about these problems, um, some people find it embarrassing, or that you know maybe it is a young child that doesn't want to face uh, his friends or her friends at school. So I would say that the, the biggest challenge is um, getting that person through the door um, and getting the treatment that they need. We're talking about the state of mental health here on the Joel Natale Show. 679-1080 uh, is a number available to you if you want to call and ask our ex- experts. You know, a big, a big term, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, but trauma is a, is a very, very uh, current uh, term, you know, for kind of describing well, let, let's 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 get a definition and, and you know, uh, you know, enlighten me because I'm not sure I totally get what trauma is, uh, other than what the you know what the emergency folks do you know when there's a when something happens in a car wreck or something like that you know. From the professional standpoint, trauma mm-hmm. is an event that we felt helpless, hopeless, that we had no control over, and felt a loved one or our life was at danger, in danger. Okay, and so how how Julie, how many of the folks that you deal with are 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 coming in with that trauma event as a trigger to their their mental illness? I would say it's a, a pretty high number. Um anywhere be maybe 8 out of 10 cuz this is oh the my. thing about trauma is that everybody experiences different traumas. My traumas might not be the same trauma that you face. Um and so everybody might say that you know, they dealt with this situation. However, I may have been through that same situation, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So different traumas um, for different people mean different things. Well, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, I mean, let's just keep it real here. Uh, in this town, a lot of middle-aged men were, were, were said, you know, your services are no longer needed. You know, and, and, you know, you know when, you, when, when you lose a job, as a as as a middle aged person, right? Uh, there's there's that's a pretty hopeless situation. At least in the moment, your 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 perspective is really affected. And uh, to me, that would be a pretty traumatic traumatic event. Exactly. Yes. So exactly that. So what do you but how, you know how do you teach an old dog a new trick on how to and how to have coping skills like that? You know. 
Well, it ta- it just like the um, training the brain to rethink and and remap the way that uh, you look at things in more of a positive outlook. There's different things and different coping skills and strategies that we try to get the individual to realize. And sometimes when the therapy isn't working, we turn to Dr. Sipple and we say, hey, we need this person to be looked at. So so, uh, so are you talking about like a, uh, a medicine kind of approach or what, what would you do there, doctor? Well, with trauma, a very important piece to it is the therapy part. Yeah. Um, I would put that above the medicine to be okay. honest with you. Getting therapy as soon as you can will give you a better outcome. I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, in another traumatic event, which actually came up when we were talking about families yesterday, is a divorce. You know, that woman who's been abandoned or, or, or you know, or just it just blows up. The marriage blows up. And again, a lot of folks that are kind of in the listening demographic of this show are dealing with that empty nest now what I do? What do I do with this spouse of mine? And it goes south a lot of times. It's it's trauma that's happening, whether self inflicted or whether what otherwise, right? Correct. It depends on if it's um, more of a stress reaction versus a trauma, and those are always kind of okay. a little tricky. All right, um, walk through walk me through that then. Sure. What's a stress reaction? A stress reaction be like I walk into work tomorrow and they say we no longer need your services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what to do. I have a house payment. I have kids and wife and so forth. And I don't know what to do. So you automatically run to that panic, almost anxiety type of a part in your brain. And you don't know how to manage it. And this is where we kind of have that meltdown. So that's more of a stressful uh, and stress type of reaction. Um, and you guys have tools in your toolkit for those? Correct. Okay. And that, that can involve from therapy, involving NAMI, that can involve all these things. Now, what can happen from my part of it is when they get stuck. Mm-hmm. And if you're stressed too long, the effects it has on the brain, the heart, the cardiovascular system. And if they say stuck too long, then you produce less serotonin. And then it starts to turn into a depression. So, so in your professional opinion, we're... Human beings are designed, if there's, if there's a, a big event that happens to us, a divorce or losing a job or whatever, it's, it's to be expected to go through the five levels of grief. It's expected, you know, and again, you know, this, oh, things will be okay and people like to white, whitewash. You could be a really good friend by just listening and, and keeping your mouth shut. But uh, go, you know, follow me on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, people always want to relate with you much like if you lose someone in your life and they'll say, oh, I know what that feels like when I lost my mother. Yeah. Um, and they're just trying to relate though. When you're in that state yourself, you really don't want to hear about someone else's loss. <laughs> no. Um, you but, just want somebody to listen. Yeah. But you're correct. You're going through those grief stages, um, whether it's losing a job or some traumatic event in your life. And sometimes we need help to go through those stages. We have one more minute before we have to go to news and, and, and you know, Let's talk about, uh, um, you know, where people would go next. Is there, is there group things that they could do with NAMI? What are, some, what are some of those programs that you can share? At NAMI, we provide support groups for families and then individuals with mental illness. Peers meet on the first and third Monday of the month at okay. our NAMI office at 1611 Peach Street, 6 o'clock. It's free and open. And families meet on the first and third Tuesday of the month. Same time, same place, and everything is confidential. And that's really just the start of what we do with our evidence-based programs as well. More information is available at namierie.org.
we're talking about um you know different uh you know the different statistics really uh that are kind of shocking as far as just the sheer number of folks that are kind of walking around our contacts whether we're at work or at, at school or at church you know there's people that are dealing with um you know mental illness whether it is a you know being somewhere uh, uh in uh, with a bipolar disorder or some kind of uh depression or you know ang- anxiety is is all over the place here why are people so why are people so filled with anxiety is there something that has happened in our society that uh just makes people you know worry so much well anxiety it still falls in this nurture nature and it okay. is a, it is a combination of both most of us have some level of anxiety i really do believe this and it helps us when it works for us to work harder or get the project done for school or all these things it works for us but when we get so much on our plate now it's working against us and now we feel like shutting down and we're overwhelmed yeah and that's when uh, um uh, anxiety is unhealthy for us, but at a certain level, and I found as a practicing psychiatrist, if I overshoot it and they have no anxiety, then they hate it. They're like, okay. I, I need some of it. Got, yeah. So, like they, they, yeah. they, they need to have that. Well, and, and, you know, and again, uh, I think about, you know, um, I, you know, Cheney and I have done theater, right. And so there is, when you're, when you're getting ready to go on stage, there's just that your heart rate goes up and you need to stay focused and you can funnel that stage fright right into having a good performance. But again, that's a very, that's a very shallow, uh, you know, uh, you know, a shallow analysis of what's really happening where people are just totally locked up by their anxiety. Now take that feeling that you have right before you get on stage, but not have a real reason why you're having that feeling mm. and imagine it not going away. Yeah. Cause you get on stage and you get in your groove, you're there, you're like, Oh, this is awesome. Imagine you're at home and you're feeling that way for no reason and you can't figure it out and your mind is just going and you don't know how to relax and how to control it. Yeah, and, and, and again, I would imagine there's grandparents and parents that are like looking at their children or grandchildren saying, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with this kid. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this kid. And, uh, and, that, and NAMI can help with that, can it? As far as, you know, just kind of, you know, helping families cope. We have two evidence-based programs. We have Family to Family, which is a 12-week educational course for families who are caregivers of loved ones with mental illness. And then we have a new program we just brought into Erie this year, thanks to the Erie Women's Fund. And it's called Mm. NAMI Basics. And it's specifically geared for parents who have young children with mental illness. It's a six-week evidence-based program. And evidence-based is just that fancy word for sustainable results. And there's some research behind it. Yes. And there's workshops and curriculum. It's, it's very much researched and um, programmed out. So that's those classes are now going on in March. You can always call the NAMI office if you want to enroll for free at absolutely no cost at 456-1773. Oh. Or you can register online at nomierie.org backslash application. And we're just very talented to to have NAMI in in Erie and to have this NAMI Basics program launch. It has been successful so far. We had a pilot session. 100% of the folks in the program have found that they've had significant knowledge gains about mental health and wellness. 
and we have peer instructors, parents themselves that have been trained by our state and national offices that are doing well in the recovery with their children. And their peer reviews were 96%. So that's incredible. These are awesome classes. And I'm not just saying that because I work for NAMI. I believe in this because I see it. And I really do encourage folks to learn more about the program and consider attending because it does complement anything that Dr. Sippel or Julie would be providing for them. Let's let's talk about this uh, new brain simulation uh, stimulation program that you've brought to uh, the community. Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation, TMS. So, uh, wow, I'm looking at some of the pictures. That's kind of interesting. You know, the apparatus. Talk about this. Actually, the one we use does not look like that. But um, okay, good. <laughs> it, a little sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that one is. Um, TMS has actually been around since the '90s. They started. Europe has been doing it since 1997. Canada started doing it in 2002, and then the United States 2008. Um, so what they have found is the one piece we do. We have therapy that helps that cycle that thinking pattern. And we do have medications that help with neurotransmitters and things like that. But the circuitry, up to this point, there was ECT, which, as we all know, for some folks it helps. But um, ECT is, is electroconvulsive what? therapy. Okay, yeah. Um, but does come with a lot of side effects mm-hmm. and, of course, a lot of stigma on that one. Um, but TMS, basically what it does is it, if someone's depressed, it activates the cells. So when you look at a brain on a PET scan that's depressed, there's not a lot of activity going on. So not a lot of glucose, not a lot of cellular activity. And then after being treated, you see it lighting up again. And what this does is get that circuitry going. So someone's own neurotransmitters can work. Even in therapy, it all works together. Therapy with TMS actually has a better outcome even yet. But um, it's, it's, you're not put out. There's no anesthesia. Side effects are very minimal. It's usually um, scalp pain and maybe a headache, a little bit low grade, um, just during the treatment phase. Uh, but the results, a lot of folks were my own folks. I've been treating for a long time. And seeing those results, um, doing things they haven't done in 10 years, 20 years, wow. um, all my years of, what, 16 years of doing psychiatry, I've never found anything as consistent as this, to be so, honest. So this is when depression leads to total debilitation, or not total, but a, a significant loss of quality of life. Correct. And you might prescribe this, uh, which it looks like it, it basically takes the technology behind an MRI and focuses it for this stimulation, right? Correct. It uses the uh, magnetic coil. That's the strength of an MRI magnet, which is about 1.5 Teslas. One time I get to pull out my nerd knowledge. Right, right. So, um, but but um, you're actually seeing on a brain scan that it it make it makes the makes the the brain peak up. Uh, correct. And you're wide awake. Um, you get to go to work. You can go right to the gym afterwards. So there's wow. no there's no ill effects. There's no weight gain like with meds or increased mm-hmm. diabetes and cholesterol mm-hmm. and just all these other uh, issues that can come up with medications. And folks usually only need to have to be on like two meds. Um, of course, the actual true treatment guidelines with Duke University and so forth, you only have to be on one antidepressant. And they actually view this in the near future as people won't be taking nearly as many medications um, since this is so much safer and healthier compared to all those other risk factors we talked about. Julie, can you share a story of, of maybe a client that uh, 
went through this therapy and some of the outcomes that they've, they've uh, you know, just as far as regaining some quality of life from the therapy? Sure. Um, so we've worked with several people in our area now for TMS, and, and some of the people have been working with Dr. Sipple for many years. Um, so we have um, seen people come to us that haven't been to work, haven't um, socialized with their loved ones, haven't seen their their family and and um and had a good time with them in years um and then they come to us and you know they're they're kind of hesitant to do this i mean let's face it it is kind of new so people are new to the area at least it's not new it's been around for many years like dr sipple said but it's newer to our area and they kind of think i don't know if i should do this and and you know what's going to happen and what if it hurts and so you know they finally get the courage to come. They get it done. And we've seen phenomenal results, actually. It, it's kind of quite, quite impressive. Um, it makes me really happy. <laughs> uh, and it's making them happy, too. So uh, I guess that's part of the happiness around it. <laughs> right. But um, they, they're, they're coming to us now um, after several weeks of being done with it and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I took my wife out to dinner. I've. Wow. Uh, and we, we had a great time. I'm enjoying time with my kids again. I have my life back and thank you so much. And we get, you know, hugs and thank you so much. This is this is awesome to feel myself again. This is great. And so it's and this is done in like uh, like doctor was saying, this is done in tandem with therapy. So you're walking them through uh, their emotions and and giving them uh, resources that way while you're doing the stimulation. Correct. Our our practice is set up that we're able to also provide that therapy piece if they need it. Um, you know, see Dr. Sipple uh, while they're getting the, the, the treatment done. If they have questions, um, a lot of times that happens. You know, you just want to make sure that it just sometimes that just Dr. Sipple's voice just kind of helps them to calm down a little bit. And, you yeah. know, he comes in there as much as they need them, need to, to talk with him to make sure he's okay. So we can provide that therapy piece. Um but actually, during TMS, we you're, it's recommended not to touch the medications, to leave them where they're at. So um, they kind of just step back from the medication management piece, unless there's a problem, of course. Yeah. Um, and we just handle the TMS piece for the six weeks. Um, we're talking to our friends from NAMI, uh, the, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And uh, you can ask a question at 679 679- 1080-679-1080, or you can do a private message to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash forward slash talk eerie. It's about quarter to five o'clock. Now I'm looking, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the clients that you deal with, um, Denise, and 6,500 uh, folks over the last three years. Um, you know, that's, that is a, a pretty strong portion of, of our population here. Well, it's it's 6,500 each and every year, believe it or not, wow. and we've doubled our numbers in the last three years. And that shows, I think, in a good way that people are reaching out more in our community for help. We have also seen in our programs, our registrations increase, not only with, it was typically mothers that would attend, now it's mothers and fathers or grandparents. So it's it's starting to get talked about a little bit more in the household, and that's great. We also are launching a new program at NAMI that we're bringing to Erie called Mental Health First Aid Training. Just like CPR, people need to know what to do in a mental health crisis if something's going on. 
at work, at home, at church. And those, uh, those will be starting to take place in April. And they're absolutely free. It's an eight-hour course that teaches you the signs and symptoms and what to do in a crisis situation. Now, we're making a distinction between, um, you know, mental illness and, let's say, somebody who's on the autism spectrum, right? I mean, how do you guys decide, you know, who, who's the best, uh, uh, what are the best therapies depending on uh, the prevailing, um, uh, the prevailing uh, what's being presented, I should say, yeah. by the patient, yeah. Um, I never liked that term, mental illness. I know we all use it. I use it. It's, I, it's I'm not in your name, here. yeah. I, yeah, it's in, it's in our name. And I think the the big part with that is is that stigma because as in we'll see a shooting and I say they have mental illness and someone's like, well, I'm on Lexapro for my anxiety or I see a therapist for my anxiety um, and it all gets lumped together. And it's yeah, like- Yeah, it's, it's so, such a broad- Oh, yeah. Uh, broad brush. But- um, when someone comes in, whether it's with NAMI or whether it's with a therapist, Julie, or, or myself, I feel we all do what's in the best interest of the patient or mm-hmm. the person. I know uh, Denise has called me before about some folks, hey, uh, is there any chance? And vice versa, I've sent folks saying that they need those family supports in place. Mm-hmm. So the idea is working with someone, I feel, when someone comes in my office, you're working as a team and you should say, these are all the options I wanna offer you, everything I can. And part of the very beginning is getting that rapport with them so they feel comfortable. And I, in the medical system we're dealing with now, we still have to take that time to gain that rapport yeah. so they can open up and then we can find, you know, do we need NAMI involved in this too? And do we need therapy? Don't need meds. And there's a lot of times meds are not needed. Yeah. Um, but all of us do try to assess what is the level of care or can we, do we need other providers in here? Um, can we talk a little bit, uh, again, uh, one of our issues in Erie is the homeless population. And um, again, on nights like last night where, you know, I got out of work and it was minus eight down here in Waterford. I mean, it just, you just, you just, your heart goes out to, uh, to the folks that you know that are on the streets and you hope that they found a warm place. Um, but uh, there's a lot of me- mental illness within the homeless population. Uh, is that just a system that is broken down? Uh, can, what's your take on why that, you know, why do we have such an issue with homelessness in Erie? Any, any thoughts? I, well, I, I did work uh, in homelessness for several years and, I do think people with serious mental illness at certain times just hit rock bottom. And, you know, sometimes treatments aren't working for them and the system is broken and fragmented. You know, somebody could be having a mental health breakdown today and may not be able to see a therapist for several weeks. How do you just say to someone, you know, you're in crisis now, but just hold on, you know, hold that thought until you can get some treatment. And I'm sure Dr. Sipple and Julie can talk more about that because that is just so frustrating on all of our ends that there are not a lot of resources in Erie for mental illness to meet the demand. At NAMI, we have waiting lists. You probably have waiting lists as well with clients. It's up to three or four months with any of the community clinics. Um, even um, I know we have better times than that, but once again, it's um long list and as denise pointed out you're in crisis now or you need to see someone now maybe not crisis but now, what about or the got ho- the courage what about the hospitals someone? too i mean you know do the hospitals do 
I mean, that's pretty short-term stuff, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, St. Vincent's and Hammett and their Correct. mental health yeah. capabilities, right? I mean, yeah, typically um, going to the hospital is definitely a crisis situation. Um, if if you felt though you needed that level of care, of course they're always there for you. Um, but sometimes the severity is isn't that high, and so we're faced again um, in the community with dealing with um, trying to get individuals into. To therapy or seeing a doctor as soon as possible and and there's just not enough okay i i guess i re- really wasn't aware of that that mm-hmm. that we that this is one of those areas where um as a as a public health issue we're worse uh we're we're under resourced when it comes to mental health because if, if you know i mean the the narrative for erie is that we're resource rich i mean for for things like addictions and things you know people come from all over the state to come to Erie because of our, you know, our success rate and our and our and our amazing agencies, city mission or what have you, for for bringing people out of addiction. Um, but for this part of uh, part of uh, life, uh, not so much, huh? I I think Julie summed it up just well with it's just not enough. Yeah. We're talking to our friends from NAMI. Uh, we're talking about the the state of mental health. Um I, I'm going to ask another tough, tough question. Again, this is this is one layperson's look at, you know, what about this concept of, you know, people just don't want help. You know, you see, you, I'm not going to call them bad actors, but people acting out. You know, whether it is, uh, uh, you know, you know, aggressive panhandling. That's that's an issue here in town. And and again, <laughs> you know, we have to we have to resource people. But, you know, we've got we've got city councilmen who want to, you know, you know, send out an ordinance, uh, you know, for aggressive panhandling, lock these people up. And, and again, there's got to be mental illness behind some of that going on. Can you talk to that? Um, we do see a lot of folks that don't want to be on medications that refuse getting treatment. So we do see that quite often. And there is, a, as Denise had pointed out, with the homeless uh, population, a good part of the folks do have a mental illness and usually pretty severe and chronic. And the problem a lot of times is that they don't trust folks in the system and things like that. And when working with that population, gaining that rapport with them, but it's still so difficult because they refuse and you have that right. Pennsylvania refused treatment. Right. And there's, and you, you, you nobody's going to just cart you in a paddy wagon and, and send you to that North Warren scenario or Polk or whatever, right? I Correct. mean, that doesn't ex- that doesn't happen anymore. No, no. And I guess you know we're we're better for it, but we've got issues because of it. Right. We, we never to... figured out how to fix that piece of it. Yeah. So where it was overly. So used. we have a gap there. Correct. Yes. We have a gap. Interesting. We're going to have to chase that down with our people that are in involved with social services. So talk about uh, some of your upcoming fundraisers because you, you do a cool thing every year with your golf tournament, right? We do. Well, all of our programs and services at NAMI are free and at no cost, but we have to fundraise for the cost. So we have uh, the originator in the room of the BOA song, <laughs> Dr. Sipple. He actually wrote and sung and produced it with his band Dual Identity, and we should have had him bring a guitar and play us there a little something. 
<laughs> but it's it's really a neat tool because believe it or not, I tell the story quite a bit. I'll be at the supermarket and the the cashier will say, "Ma'am, where's your boa?" You know, and, and it starts <laughs> wow, the conversation yeah. of mental health and wellness. Yes. So if that kind of marketing and that kind of fun initiate something that's a little more serious that's okay in my book absolutely so so the 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 golf outing is in june uh, are you starting to take foursomes now or oh absolutely okay. it's our seventh annual fabulous golf outing and it is just so fabulous we just have music <laughs> on the course and fun and food and a little bit of golf too <laughs> and a couple bows thrown in there that's so funny. it is just really a fun event mark your calendar for june 21st NamiEerie.org backslash fabulous gets you in the game. All right. So we got like two minutes left. We want to circle back to, again, the, the toolkit, the, the, the resources that are available for families. Maybe they have that child or grandchild who's in uh, either in crisis or just, you know, need, needs to have a breakthrough. You know, what should they do? Well, we do have NAMI's Family to Family program, our NAMI Basics program for parents with young children with mental illness, and we're launching the Mental Health First Aid trainings in April. All of it is free and open to the public. Please consider it. If you do have someone that you think might have a mental illness, they don't even have to have a diagnosis to be a part of a NAMI program. And and again, reinforce the, 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 the concept of, you know, the stigma shouldn't be there. This is 2019. Getting help is... It, is uh, is just part it's part of life as if you know if you have if you have high blood pressure you 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 take your medicine right exactly so if you had a broken bone you'd go to the doctor and if if you're not feeling feeling well you need to to see somebody whether it's a therapist um starting off with nami um or even talking to your pcp about it uh a lot of the Primary care doctors, they know how to, they, sh they will know how to handle setting somebody up if, if they need help. Um, talking to a friend, whatever it is that they, they feel that you need, I, I encourage everybody to, to get out there, get help. There's hope for the, anybody suffering. We appreciate you guys so much for coming in. From NAMI, uh, Denise Kolovoski, Dr. Matthew Sippel, and Julie Manorino. I am so pleased to uh, welcome to the microphone uh, my brother Jeffrey Natale, Community Care Behavioral Health Regional Director. <laughs> he even brought his own uh, applause. That's right. <laughs> track, my applause track. <laughs> Your applause track. So, okay. Joel, so, good to be here. I'm so glad. I mean, we've been working on getting you on the air now since, That's like, since, since the, the innovation the, of the, the innovation of the, of the show itself. So, That's right. Um, That's right. We said we're going to. Uh, uh, and I've got to figure out how to get Ange on. My brother Angelo, our, our brother Angelo, lives in Connecticut. That's right. And is a musician and songwriter. So we have to do something about music. So, something cool with uh, like live streaming. Well, yeah, we could, we could, yeah, we could do Facebook uh, or, I mean, uh, like a FaceTime video sure. or yeah. something like that from Connecticut. And so, yeah. and then, and then our sisters all want to be on the air. Well, of course so they, yeah. Now that Connie was on, now the other two sisters want to be on. So that's right. We'll that's figure right. it out. There's a lot, like, like that's, I said, call, in my business, Joel, we call it parody, you know? <laughs> right. And so there's a matter of, it's a fairness. It's all about, uh, it's all so, about so, fair. so, social uh, equilibrium. <laughs> all right. So we, we talk about origin stories. And again, uh, you know, uh, Connie and I had some fun with origin story. But I want to get your perspective as the baby of the eight. That's right. What was it like growing up uh, in our homestead in Little Italy 
as as the baby. I, you know, it's funny. I have I have a couple of what I would think uh, I would call like thematic experiences with growing up on 18th Street. So, you know, being the baby. Yeah. One of the themes was that I um, benefited from the generosity of our brothers and sisters and their girlfriends and boyfriends, you know, in taking care of Nancy and I, especially. But but I had that, you know, what my wife calls she her pet name for me is King Baby. So uh, I that's that's right. I even have a a T-shirt called it says King Baby. Um, so, you know, I benefited from that, you know, Susie Natale, yeah. uh, you know, really took care of me. Of course, Connie was my second mother. Yeah, right. Uh, Anne is my, um, my, uh, godmother, although she didn't really do much for me other than that. And Pete is really the same. He didn't do anything for yeah. me, but yeah. Pete's girlfriend and Mike, uh, took care of me, <laughs> I would say. So right. There's that, there's that real positive side. Well, you know, and, and you know, they, when, when, uh. When they were, when our older sibs were dating, you know, they would take us to, to Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins. And, you know. that's, that's part of that whole theme. Yeah, absolutely. But then, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and, and I know you had your own experiences, you know, we grew up on 18th Street, you know, yeah. in a transitionary time. Especially for you, it was very transitionary. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was difficult, you know, and, um, and in fact, uh, I think you'd agree that um, 18th Street is really starting to rebrand itself and, and is in a new type of transition um, and a lot of money. And in fact, a, a mutual friend of ours who's involved in that, um, uh, Heather Mae Casper yeah. and uh, Sister St. Joseph's have a piece of that. Bethesda has a piece of that. Um, and so there's all this um, money being put into that area, which makes us happy. But that was a difficult time. Yeah. Uh, 1986, 1987, things were really transition uh, transitionary. And you remember that that's really when dad decided it was time for us to get out yeah. because it was so um, in flux and it was becoming dangerous. Well, it, 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 I remember specifically that, you know, that I felt like we kind of stayed there one year too late sure. because the the uh the fire the the police cars were zipping back and forth on 18th street people yelling i'm not sure i ever heard shots fired but it probably did oh without a doubt without yeah. a doubt and so we we got out of there so all right so uh let's let's transition to your professional life mm-hmm. what do you think the state of mental health is in erie county well uh, the the state of mental health uh in general it, whether it's in Pennsylvania, in Erie County, um, uh, nationally, what I would say is that we're probably in the most enlightened uh, time that mm-hmm. mental health has been uh, really kind of historically. Um, mental health has been a, um, you know, over history, mental health is, is, is it's not a hard science or, or I should say psychiatry is not a hard science. When I say psychiatry, it would be everything that falls under psychiatry, all the mental health professions and disciplines. Yeah. It's not a hard sign. So we we learn by doing. And some of the things that we did were, you know, at times inhumane and, and uh, traumatic for um, uh, for patients going back 100 years. But um, you heard, you know, uh, um, from the uh, one of your guests, uh, Dr. Sipple, um, some of the things he's doing are so innovative and, and interesting and provide such hope for folks who are otherwise uh, may, may feel like they have run the gamut of, of services or of, of medical interventions. So what I enjoy in my role is um, I get to have a look at Erie and Erie County and all of the service providers 
from a um a 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. I get to I get to look at how well they're all doing. Sometimes it's just from a financial perspective, but that, you know, that tells a story, but um but I also get to know these are my friends. These are my yeah. colleagues and friends and I get to know what's going on in all of the agencies in all of the different um uh, government organizations that touch those those uh, social service um, agents, I'll, I'll call them. Yeah. And I and I'm here to tell you. Uh, you said it, Joel. You said um, Erie. You said the Erie's uh, well known in has um, strength in its drug and alcohol um, services. But what I would add to that is um, there are uh, you know there's a good fifteen large organizations, mental health organizations only, who who still have a spirit um, and a strength uh, that that is implanted in Erie that used to drive people from outlying counties and states to come and live in Erie to get those services, especially in the kids' mental health uh, realm. Is that right? It's okay. absolutely true. Absolutely true. And and, 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 you, and you include behavioral health with mental health. That's what the it, same behavioral thing. Health, behavioral health is the new word that captures... Um, that really should capture drug and alcohol and mental health okay. as a whole. That's good. Good to understand mm-hmm. that. And I, and I think about places like Sarah Reed or, mm-hmm. you know, where where there's, you know, they're dealing with kids that are acting out or have been diagnosed with issues that, you know, to to bring them along. It's right? a it's a great Sarah Reed's a great example. Here is an agency that's been around for a really long time mm-hmm. and they have evolved um, and emerged into being a prevailing expert in dealing with trauma in children specifically. So, you know, when you and I were kids and mom would threaten that Harbor Creek was going to come pick us right, up, right? right, right. Um, uh, those, those days of group homes and dealing with bad kids, those, those days are over. Yeah. Now, our care is so specialized that even within what you would think is a, a special, uh, specialty care, which is children, within child, child care, there are many subcategories of specialties beyond that. So nobody is a kid counselor anymore. People are enormously uh, have enormous uh, subspecialties or, or or strict subspecialties, just like you would in uh, the field of medicine as a whole. All right. So go back to your to your private practice time, okay? Know, because I, I want to understand what some of the stressors and some of the the issues that you were dealing with. I mean, were you dealing with uh, kids with Full, full uh, blown anxiety and depression, uh, or was it uh, oftentimes relational issues? Well, a, a friend of mine whose name is Doctor Feelgood would. <laughs> right. would. I, I did explain that in the three o'clock hour. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor Feelgood would say that um, that my specialty, because Doctor Feelgood was employed by <laughs> by Jeff Natalie at right. the time, right. was really to deal with angry kids, sad kids, anxious kids. In the context in which um, they live, which by and large is within their families. Now, you know, of course, family, the definition of family has changed over time. Mm. But um, but yeah, the, by and large, that was the work that I did when I was in private practice, working with. Uh, ang- uh, so those those are the pr- predominant uh, presenting issues that a kid would, you know, their parent would say, I got to do something about this kid. And, yeah. and, and Joel, we could even we could even break it down when we're not talking about major mental illnesses or serious mental illnesses like the psychotic disorders, like schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about, you know, your your the 80 percent of serve of kids that, that struggle, it's not even even anger because anger is a is a, it's a, it's a secondary, right? Yeah. yeah. It's fear and depression. That's it. I mean, those are, that's by and large what our kids are dealing with. What are they afraid of? 
Um, I think Dr. Sippel said uh, said it well. There are the kids that um, our, our society moves at a million miles an hour. So there are pressures on kids these days. Those are just regular social pressures. If you have a child who also has vulnerabilities towards um, uh, cognitive issues or uh, psychiatric issues, you're taking uh, basically a, a normal emotion, fear, uh, and like Dr. Sibyl said, you're putting it on steroids. So mm. sometimes there, and the way we, frankly, the way we know that is if there there isn't a, what, what the common man would agree to be a, a good reason for why that child is afraid. But what are they afraid of? They're afraid of uh, bullying. They're afraid of um, uh, failures within school. And the the new term that we use, Joel, to to capture kind of life in general are um, the social determinants of health. So imagine, you know, you and I, we grew up, uh, we grew up in a, a very tight Italian uh, family, but we, we were not, you know, dad wasn't rolling in money, No. but we had, um, we had strength within us. So there, there is one of the social determinants of health. We had house. So we had, um, we had a place to live. So housing, you talked about homelessness earlier. Um, uh, homelessness is one of the contributors. Mom never made us, uh, go without food. So we didn't have um, food insecurity issues, you know, uh, downtown Erie um, from 26th Street, from East Avenue over to probably like Cherry is what we call a food desert. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no. Grocery. So you're talking about basic needs, basic needs. Are, are presenting so much stress on these kids to the point that they're becoming mentally ill or, many, many, or, or behave, act we, out. We have 20, you know, 25%, and that's said roughly, of kids that are living below the poverty level. Mm-hmm. And many of their meals come from when they go to school. Um, right. And this is not, a, this is not a, a, a condemnation of the parents. This, is, this has to do with general issues around poverty. So all that, you're going to school and you're supposed to learn, and, and there's all this kind of pressure to be intellectually um to, to grow intellectually but you haven't even eaten wow. and you didn't uh what a friend of mine dr marianne alba would say is you didn't sleep last night so uh you you got less less than three hours of sleep for whatever reason all of those things would take the brightest the best the most healthy and uh emotionally healthy uh kids and absolutely wear them out he is the regional director of community care behavioral health and and again, you are um, you are in charge of like funding. Funding. We're the, an insurance company. Yeah. Essentially, we're an insurance company with a with a with a, a heart and a spirit for um, you know the, the it, it's funny. Our job essentially is to be a uh, a consultant to the county. The mm-hmm. county um, is, the county is allocated a certain amount of money by the, the state government, which is comes from the federal government. And our job, mine and Mr. John DiMatteo, who is the director of um, um, human services, um, well, my job too, Mr. DiMatteo, is to provide consultation about it. What, what, is, what are the services that are needed in Erie County? Where are our holes? And where, would, where in this very finite amount of money, where can we spend that in the best ways? Well, so let's talk about this issue that came up with our last conversation that, uh, you know, if you need a psychiatrist in town, uh, you've got a four month wait. That 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 is true in part 
That is true in part. So there are um, about 70,000 people in Erie County who are eligible for health choices, eligible for Medicaid. Um, Part of that was because uh, President Obama, uh, through the Affordable Care Act, expanded Medicaid and allowed 15,000 people uh, who are the working poor Mm -hmm. um, to get health insurance, which is terrific. Um, So... Of course, that you know, the, the greater the utilization, the the more you're spreading your your services. Psychiatry, in and of itself, and uh, also um, near to my heart because of my daughter, nursing, um, are a shortage across the nation. So we we are at a, at a, a loss um, in terms of the the number of psychiatrists to meet the needs per thousand. What I will say is one of the beautiful things about um, working for Mr. Dumadio uh, and for community care and being able to look at services from you know a higher vantage point is to be able to review things like how are we being more innovative in using other professionals, other um, in other specialties, and encouraging them to carry some of the load. So here's an here's an example. There, uh, uh, Dr. Sipple said that there's a four-month waiting list, and that's true for some of our outpatient clinics. There is a there is a two, three, four-month waiting list. But 80% of the psychotropic medications that are prescribed are through your primary care physician. Is that right? That's absolutely true. So, you know, a person who has um, a low-level depression or um, an anxiety disorder or you know, one of those general issues, probably not the more severe things like bipolar disorder or major depression or schizophrenia. Um, those folks are, those folks don't even, they don't even come into my world. They, they go yeah. right to their family docs. Um, the family docs have become so comfortable with um, certain medication in families and they get better. They get better. And they do things like the family docs are awesome. They really are because they'll say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you this medication. But you know what I also want you to do? I want you to spend 15 days outside in the sun. I want you to start exercising. We're going to start working on your sleep hygiene. We're going to make sure that your nutrition is good. Because for folks with mild depressions or anxiety disorders, even up to moderate, they they do better, not just with the medication, and Dr. Uh, Sipple said this as well, but talk therapy and exercise, sleep, and nutrition are the keystone, the three biggest pieces to a person's well-being. Interesting. So, so what about this concept that uh, people are going out there untreated? Is that just a personal choice? I mean, I, I, there's a couple of different levels to this thing where, where you know, there's there's self-imposed stigma because I don't I don't think the stigma is really there anymore in 2019 as far as you know. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm walking around with an issue here. You know, you know? Who, who probably has the most stigma? Are people like you and I? Yeah, you know, we're the ones that might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to go talk to a counselor. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, folks who 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 know their illness embrace the services that are available. Mm-hmm. But but but, uh, but the you know, uh, you know, when do you when do you uh, broach that uh, subject with your PCP to say, hey, you know, I'm, I've been feeling kind of blue today, or you know, well, I, I, you, using late terms. No, right? you 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 had said you were saying you know. At what point is it a person's responsibility? There's people walking around. Yes, um, there are the very functional mentally ill mm-hmm. folks who um, refuse medication and um, are uh, are no distraction or harm to anyone. They are not necessarily always making a choice 
to be um, uh, in this this fog, you know, uh, part of the illness that keeps them there, but they're they're not they're not a danger. Generally, what happens if those folks get involved with, say, uh, Mill Creek Community Hospital as a Mill Creek Community Hospital and St. Vincent's have the mental health um, inpatient uh, programs, they usually get involved because a, a very kind hearted police officer ah. or or so, or, okay. or, or, you know, somebody on the street will say, hey, he didn't look quite right. And the cop might say, hey, buddy, do you need somewhere to go? And you mentioned this, especially times like this, that that person Again, avails themselves to the police officers. Yeah, and the cop brings them up to Mill Creek or to St. Vincent's, and um, the, they're good people at these hospitals, and they recognize that there is a push and a pull between again those social determinants of health and mental illness. And off, oftentimes, if the person's willing, they'll admit them, they'll get them stabilized on medication, and um, they will do good social work, get them into the services that are available on an outpatient basis, and those people get better. Some people, in fact, some folks who have no mental illnesses choose a life of homelessness. So, you know, I worked at the VA. Yeah. Yeah. We we, we worked with vets and Mm. um, the VA has been the most successful in literally ending homelessness. Part of it was an infinite amount of money. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but part of it was because it was ex-military people or folks who understand ex-military, former military people providing care for former military people. Mm-hmm. So we were really good at working with vets. That's still needed, but I will say, you know, unfortunately from, for the homeless issue, it takes a lot of money to end homelessness as a whole. There will always be people who prefer life on the street. They just I was going to say, there, I, I run into folks that they don't want any kind of limits put on their lifestyle. And, and, and sometimes that gets in the way with, uh, you know, uh, with, you know, societal norms, you know. For, and to a great degree, Joel, um, our norms, because those folks, um, because we, you are right, we are so rich in this town with food banks, soup kitchens, uh, homeless shelters. Um, th- there is, there will never be a day where a person who is homeless cannot have a bed. Because of how well our whole, how well Erie County um, and the director of the homeless programming in Erie County manages to make sure that a bed is available. When people are homeless, if there is a, a man or a woman on the street right now or a child or a family, unfortunately, um, there is a bed for them. Mm-hmm. There's a, we open warming shelters and so on. Jeff, I want you to hang over the break. Uh, we, we have like an, an eight minute news break, okay. but because I want to come back and talk about, you know, what grandparents and parents can do, you know, to to uh, help their children navigate, you know, the stresses. It's, it's a very similar conversation that we had with Connie yesterday, but it's it's super true that 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 there's a lot of things that are that can be put in the toolbox. Jeff, uh, again. He's uh, the, the, better. the the beautiful th- the beautiful thing oh my goodness the Sorry. beautiful thing of sitting in the chair that I sit in is I don't have to really know much about anything because I'm bringing in experts right. to uh, to understand but my goal here is to educate and my goal here is to kind of push back some of the really poor n- narratives that are out there that's right and, and there so, are some aren't there yeah and and so. 
One of the big things about this issue or this subject that we're talking about, mental health, is it's it's greatly misunderstood. That's right. And I would like you to kind of help me understand just the different areas and who does what. Because, you know, for example, the Barber National Institute is is world-renowned for right. the work that they do, but that deals with intellectual disabilities, That's correct? Right. That's right. Can you explain, uh, you know, and contrast maybe what they do versus stairways versus Sarah Reed, so on. Yeah. So Barber National Institute is a great example because, it, like you said, they they have a an uh, uh, international presence and uh, awareness of the the services they've provided. Long, a rich history of uh, the provision of services to children and families, um, and uh, especially and adults with intellectual disabilities. And it, more recently, and probably in the last decade, they've they have expanded their services into mental health. So the way um, the, the 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 brief explanation is, and I explained about health choices dollars. I I administrate uh, health choices dollars for mental health. Our system is uh, bifurcated, which means essentially that there is physical health dollars for those who have Medicaid and there are behavioral health dollars. And the reason that those behavioral health dollars were carved out is because um, our uh, um, administration at the state level recognized that mental health is such a a specialty that um, you could actually save more money by having a separate administration take care of people with mental illnesses because they are experts in that. Um, uh, in that way. Otherwise, it would be, uh, I, the, the example I like to use is if it were carved in, um, it would be like, uh, oh, I, I better be careful, It'd be like a fa- uh, your traditional doctor telling a heart doctor what to do. Okay, mental health right. is very specialized. Can, can I understand this? Okay, because you, you deal with Medicaid dollars. Medicaid dollars. Um, is, there a, 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 is there a parallel universe for those that are on traditional insurance or is it the same providers so if i if i have highmark or upmc uh or a health plan or or you know coventry or united health or whatever uh who who do i is it do i see somebody different if you have a physical health need um you are going to see physicians who take care of the body um and for medicaid uh, folks who have medicaid um, there is a separate one of there are four uh, Medicaid brands in Pennsylvania, um, but depending on the, the county that you live, um, there is one behavioral health insurance company for Erie County. It's Community Care Behavioral Health. Okay, but but I mean, as far as the practitioners, as far as the 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 people that supply the help to me, mm-hmm. is it all the same people? The on the physical health side uh, and on the behavioral health side. Um, we are working towards integration so that you could see a, a counselor. Um, there's, here's a good example. Um, LECOM has uh, psychologists, counselors, and psychiatrists in their geriatric uh, outpatient clinic. Okay. So you go to see your, your family doc, yeah. your geriatric family physician, and um, they say, oh, it sounds like you have some depression, but we want a specialist to see you. Right next door is doctor, uh, in wow. this case, uh, Dr. McCarthy. Yeah. Um, so that integration is um, kind of the uh, what we're all moving towards. But it's, it's difficult. But who, it's who would pay for that? Well, 
when I see the phys- when I see the primary care physician, my physical health insurance pays. Okay. And when I go and see next door and I see my psychiatrist, the behavioral health insurance pays. But I, I guess I guess for those on traditional, again, if if I get if I get insurance through work, mm-hmm. um, you're saying that basically uh, my insurance will cover mental health needs or behavioral health if, needs that I have. If you have traditional commercial insurance like right. Highmark, yes, or UPMC. Um, they're going to pay for both. Okay. They're going to pay. They're going to send you to one doctor for your physical health needs and another doctor for your mental health needs. All right, I'm going to I'm going to switch gears here because okay. again, I want to go back to when you were in private practice mm-hmm. and let's talk about um, parents and grandparents that are dealing with um, situations, wh- whether it is young children, adolescents, or younger adults. Even adults. That's right. Yeah. Um, again, I asked the question of the folks here. Um, about if there are if there are age age periods where uh, you know things kind of rise to the surface. You know, I I'm concerned about you know especially when it comes to violence. I'm concerned about those young males that right. that seem to you know be uh, on the news. You know, um, you know that men young men of a certain age. What is you know where is that? stuff coming from you know traditionally joel that there are definitely some predictable um milestones in life uh sixth grade is one a perfect example sixth grade ninth grade twelfth grade those are difficult times for kids but a moment ago when we were off the air i was, I was talking to you about we've, we've become so much more sophisticated uh in our understanding about around specialty so now we're trying to understand the person rather than some theoretical framework in which to look at the person. Okay. And really what we find the most at risk are the kids who have been traumatized. So you started by asking me, think about the grandparent who's raising the child. Yeah. You do not have to have a degree to already know what is what puts that kid at risk. Something took their parents away from that kid. Right. The, this, the natural system's been disrupted. That kid has, they they may have the best grandparents in the world, but there's a trauma there. That's how we're beginning to look at people as a whole. You take those traumas that are unattended to and you you stack them up as the person gets older and they're the most at risk once they start hitting their adulthood because they've never, all that yuck has never been attended to. Wow. And, and so as a, as a teacher, as a, as somebody at the church, as, as a friend of the family, what are some of the things, or and as the parents and grandparents, what are some of the things that we can do, you know, to to kind of step into the the you know the the tough situations that that little ones, adolescents, and young adults are facing. You know, it's amazing. Like this would be such a great like if we were really awesome, we would stop at this moment. The very thing that we started our conversation about how we grew up was the thing that kept us safe psychologically in a tough neighborhood. Having a family that wasn't wealthy in any way, shape, or form, but that, I don't want to overstate being intact, but having an intact family, that's a, um, uh, a mechanism that preserves a child. Having um, a, a parent that could be attentive to, attentive to us having deep and rich relationships with one another, understanding a certain moral set that was important to us. We didn't have a dime, but we were preserved from the things around us. So 
that same grandparent or, you know, the, if you have a heart for somebody who's at risk, the very thing that w- our parents did for us, they loved us when we literally, I hate to sound, sound gospelish, but when we love our neighbors and we, and our neighbors grow to trust us, we become surrogates for some of those areas that were lost. Those are the moments when you can say, there is nothing wrong with you letting somebody take care of you, whether it's a counselor, whether it's your priest, whether it's your pastor, whether it's a psychiatrist, your family doctor, whomever. The isolation that happens as a result of our community that you and I didn't feel because we grew up in Little Italy with people caring about us, that isolation stacks, creates a, a vacuum in which that traumatized person really is not going to have an easy way to, to get out. That's where the hopelessness comes in. One person, Joel. Well, well, so, I mean, there is boy, uh, big brothers and big sisters. I mean, you're saying that basically we've got to sew back into the, these, uh, whether they're formal programs or informal, just to be on the lookout where we can add value and add love and concern. Let, to. let, me, say, let me say it again, just in a, the parallel to psychiatry. There will never be enough or good enough formal services to replace what a person needs informally. That church, that next door neighbor, that social club, that whatever, those things um, have a value that can't be easily quantified. Mm-hmm. And they're the, usually, a friend of mine, Dr. McCarthy, would say, sometimes you need somebody who can hold your ego for you. Because it's too heavy for you to hold on your own. Hold my beer. Yeah, yeah. Hold my you, ego. The beer is your self worth, right? Oh wait, sorry, Megan. That's my brother. That's um, talk about because um, you you made it in the newspaper about uh, five ten years ago mm-hmm. when you did not allow your daughter to have a cell phone until what Ooh. high school? Ooh, that was that was a rough one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, box. Your, your our sister Connie brought it up. Uh, 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 school, uh, Superintendent Rick Scaletta brought it up. Oh my gosh, I've, I've seen right? it everywhere. No, not not about you, oh, but okay, about gosh. this the concept of technology yeah, being yep. being a, a a kind of a source of evil for children. That's right. Talk about it. Yeah, I, it, my sense is that we will never get past the the idea that that kids are making connections via the internet, but it in and of itself it is both uh, kind of philosophically and um, tangibly. A, uh, a barrier between that young person and a person that that physically can love them. So yes, technology, whether it's uh, tablets or phones or computer or the gaming system, um, is a is a disruption. And parents do have to have the they have to have the courage to limit FaceTime. Yeah. How about how about this concept of um, just it just takes a lot of effort to enter into a kid that you know that might be troubled. Yep. I mean, you know, they they're not very lovable. That's right. I used to tell my uh, I used to tell the parents I worked with in private practice, my job is to help you stay sane from now until your kid stops growing cognitively because I promise you they'll be fine. But from now until then it's going to be really terrible. <laughs> it's just going to be hard. <laughs> wow. Uh, and and I was that surrogate mm. as a as a therapist, which is absolutely okay. Well, okay, but uh, does, does does everybody need to go to therapy? I, I, there, you could never go wrong by going to therapy. Okay. But, but when you're alone, you feel alone. Mm. It, it 
it's really okay to talk to somebody else. Yeah. It would be great if it was your next door neighbor, but our, but you know, times have changed. Therapists yeah. are awesome. Jeff, how about some hope as, as we kind of close this down? Here, here's my, today. here's my hope. I am blessed to look at Erie County mm. from the, from the vantage point in which I do. I couldn't be more proud of the work that we do. I couldn't be more proud of the administration that's involved with Erie City. I couldn't be more proud of the tenacity of the administrators who are guiding our, our county. Don't give up. Erie is on the rise. Just walk downtown. Look at the beauty of Erie. It's, we're coming around. It's awesome. Jeff Natale, he is the regional director of the Community Care Behavioral Health. And also my little brother, and so thankful. We'll get you back on here. Love it. Because, uh, you know, because like you can like kind of sit in my chair and, you know, back announce the, 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 the U2 clips and stuff. Absolutely. And Judge, whenever we need to, let's get after it. <laughs> let's get after it. <laughs> uh, Shane, uh, wow. What a show. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing discussion all around. I'm, whole I'm, I'm, I, I do want to encourage you to reach out. If you have a question, you can, you can private message us. So we will get you in contact with either the folks from NAMI or with Jeff, and they could help you out. But, uh, you know, I think some of the best advice we heard today was just kind of, you know, being honest with your private, primary care physician, kind of, kind of talking them through, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling this way or that way. You know, they're, they're there for your whole health, for your whole hist- holistic health. And they're kind of like the first line of defense to getting you back to wholeness. And they may be able to refer you to a program or refer you to, uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, counseling or psychiatric uh, connection there. But I hope you guys found, found this as rewarding as we did in bringing this to you. And again, this program is all about, you know, advancing the narrative of the Erie region in all parts of civic life. And, and we want to have the big boy discussions. We want to, we, we want to, you know, face down uh, the, you know, the sacred cows. And, and certainly there's a lot of stigma that surrounds mental health. I don't understand much of it at all, but uh, at least, you know, I can bring and connect with the people that do understand it. And, and just even understanding, you know, how the system works, you know, that, you know, that little, uh, that little card that you get at the beginning of the year from your health insurance provider, that'll help you get mental health services and behavioral health services as well. And, and so utilize them, you know, uh, you know, take care of yourself, especially this time of year. It's, you know, this is, uh, we, you know, we, it's, it's easy to, to kind of let the, the cold and the environment kind of get to you. So I just encourage you. I want to give you hope. And thank you so much for being a part of our listening family. 